Jesus Christ are ones that we can't. So I'm going to just read off the 12 that we can experience through Jesus Christ. But it's to a certain extent. It's not to its full because God is God. Of his community, we share um, his love, his holiness, his goodness, his just, his just jealous, his sovereign authority, his omnipotent, which is his all powerfulness, and his omniscience, which is all knowledgeable. He's patient, he's faithful, and he's spirit. Okay? So it's just not love. Love drives them all. But it's not just love. See, God cannot be a God of love if he's not a just God. He doesn't, they're not, God is not an unbalanced being. He's a full, complete being. And they go hand in hand. So he can't be one without the other. That wouldn't be God. So when we hear the world, we hear comments like, well, God is love. God, Yeah, but he's also these things too. And we can't uh, uh, take away those things and just focus on one because then that's not God. Then you've got your own God, your own idol. Then you ask yourself, what do you truly believe? Because that's not the Christ that died on the cross for your sins. So it's important for us. And the reason, again, I point this out because I want to segue into the message of understanding that who God is. So when we get the message, we understand who God is. He only. He cannot be. He cannot be. Just love. He's not an unbalanced God. So we see in the first passage here, and I'm going to read it in the first verse. Mark 12, verse 41. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much. So here Jesus, he's going, I'm going to give you a little background. He's going through the temple, right? This is the last week before he gets crucified on the, uh, on the cross on Friday. It's the last week. This is Tuesday, supposedly, but we understand it to be. And he's finishing. He's battling with uh, the priests and, and the Sadducees and the scribes and all the religious leaders and the thing, flipping tables. Because he's so, you know, disgusted with what they're doing in the temple, right? <laughs> Did he say, say something else? Uh, it's God. Uh, amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> So it, it, this is what's happening. And now he comes and he stops and he takes the time to look at the crowd. This is his omniscience, his, what we say, one of his characteristics. His knowledgeable, he's all-knowing. He's looking at the crowd for a specific reason. He takes his time to stop and to look because there's a teaching moment there. And he needs to teach this because he knows that we need to learn something. We have followed up people. He knows it. God knows the future. He knows today. He knows the present, past, and so on. We can go back and forth. He knows it all. So this is a teaching moment for God at this time. So he stops and he looks at the crowd after all of this. And because of his love, he stops because he needs to teach. We look at Hebrews 4.13. We're going to the first verse. And I'm the verse that I planned on. <laughs> the Spirit of God takes it so well, so I just ramble. 4.13 says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Everything is open to God. He sees everything, and we're accountable for everything we do. 
Every single thing. There's nothing you can get past God. Proverbs 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Jeremiah 23, 24 says, Can a man hide himself in the secret places of, so that I cannot see him? Declare the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth? Declare the Lord. Job 28, 24 says, For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. There's nothing that you can hide. God chose takes the time. He's looking to thousands of people there because it's the time of the year when they're coming to um, uh, give their um, sacrifices and stuff to temples. People coming from all over. And he takes the time because he can see through all of that because he's looking for a specific teaching moment. When we have teaching moments in our life, we need to be teaching others. Amen. And we need to teach them the truth of God. We can't let the, the thought of, I don't want to hurt their feelings, alter what the truth is. Because then we're writing letters like, our children be writing letters like this. Listen, the truth hurts. Oh, we'll get into it later. But it does. <laughs> Because what you do today will grow food for later on in life. And I'm first one, and we all experience that and know that from our own experiences. So as we see what's going on here in that passage, Mark 12, 42, and I'm going to read half of 43 because this is where I'm going to use it for my advantage. Because technically, I hate that word technically, but I do use it often because it gives me a little leeway. But originally, Scripture didn't have numbers dividing Scripture. All right? Man put that in. That's what one say. I can't say that man didn't put in there. It was numbers. We divided Scripture. Didn't change Scripture. Just divided it up. So I'm going to read 42 and half of 43 to my advantage. Okay? <laughs> For the sermon. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrant. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, As you assuredly, I say to you, wait, whoa, 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 I'm backing up. See, I just went past where I was trying to start. 43 says, So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, That's where I wanted to stop. Okay? That's where I wanted to stop. So here's the teacher moment, right? He's calling the disciples over, Hey, hey, come over here. And he's sitting down, he's looking at the crowd. Let me show you something. According to Visual Teaching Alliance, the brain can see images that last for 13 milliseconds. Our eyes can register 36,000 visual messages per hour. We can get the sense of a vision in one-tenth of a second. 90% of information transmitted to the brain is visual. Visuals are processed 60,000 times faster in the brain than text. 40% of nerve fibers are linked to the retina. So why am I reading this? Right? I'm reading stats because Jesus is always showing his teachers moments, but he wants to show them. He's calling them so that he can see what's going on in the crowd. He wants to show them so they can see it. And I said, well, how does that apply to me? Well, he says, live it so you can see for yourself. And I said, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> PJ, love me less. I'm just kidding. Love me more. But you see what I mean? God allows us to live it so we can experience and see for ourselves. And that's what we, we, we sometimes we, we, 
we overlook these situations or take them for granted. And we see blessings, but then we don't because we're so busy looking at He takes his time to teach us visually because he knows we're going to absorb it more and retain it better. And he's always giving images as he's walking through and we see it through scripture. Well, he's teaching the disciples along the way. He's doing his visuals. He's, he's, he's laying the hands. He's, he's doing this. He's expelling demons. But he's all doing it. And they're watching this because he knows they're going to retain it better. He wants us to retain our experiences better because he's always teaching us through our experiences. All right? We know the scripture. It's a general, not general. We know the scripture. All things work for the good for those who've been called, who, um, for the purpose for God's purpose, right? For those he loves. I just messed it up. You know what I mean. <laughs> All things work for the good for those he loves. You know, you got me. All things work for the good, right? So these things, so when we believe that in Christ, because we've been taught that in scripture, then we understand that teaching moments are not to be wasted. That everything that goes on in life is not to be wasted. I thought to the side and said, oh, this just happened. Forget about the words coincidences and lucky and all that nonsense. I'm talking about these things happen because God allows it for a purpose. All right, these are teaching moments. But we have to experience it. A lot of times we have to experience these things so that we can understand it and visually see it for ourselves. Because sometimes just reading and hearing is not enough sometimes. And we need to experience it. So I think this is the point part where, and I'm saying that Jesus only teaches that way. There's teachings that he you know, we see in scripture that he just teaches and we listen. But what I'm saying is, here, he thought this was important enough to show him, show the disciples. He thought it was important enough to stop, take a look, and point out to the disciples about this widow. Those are the two mites. And the same way our situations in our lives, our occurrences, our, our uh, learning moments in life, it's because he thought that was important enough for us to learn through our experience. That's an ouch moment, right? Because that means every experience that we go through, we should be saying, praise the Lord, right? Thank you, Jesus, for teaching me once again. And yeah, technically we should be. Fruits of the spirits, joy, love, peace, and all these good things, right? PG, you know that, but we don't want to hear the joy, right? I mean, we don't want to hear the fruits. It is what it is. So these are important teacher moments, and we can't waste them, right? So I point out some other scriptures to this, but... You know, his teaching was confrontational, Mark 12. He teaches to glorify God the Father in John 7. His teachings came with healing in Matthew 4. He taught his disciples in Mark 31. He taught the multitude. He taught the religious leaders. So he's teaching, but he's giving visuals, and he's teaching, he's giving visuals. So he's doing these both, okay? And they're going hand in hand because he wants you to retain it. But not for you just to keep it, because what happens to the disciples later when Jesus leaves? When Jesus resurrects, what do the disciples start doing? They're teaching everyone else. Go and make disciples. And we see that through the whole books of Acts. They teach you all the way on to death. So it's not for us to keep for ourselves, but they understood the importance of teaching and the importance of why God taught them. Because they knew the truth. They experienced it and they lived it. And that's why it's important for us to not only hold it to ourselves, but to teach everyone else. Because we're not called to hold it to ourselves. John 8, 1. I love this verse, but I want to read it. John um, 8, 31 through 32. 
another, you know, common verse, but sometimes, you know, we need to see these, you know, see it for ourselves. It's just like scripture, you know, you remember it, but when you see it, it's like, wow, it's like God's talking to you again about something. It's one thing, you know, you know we can recite it, but when you see it and you're reading through scripture, it's like God just gives you another enlightenment, you know what I mean? Another teaching moment. That's why this book is so important. You cannot just let it sit by, sit down and let it sit on the table like it's some you know, um, table, um, I, uh, table, you know, centerpiece, you know? <laughs> this is live and active. I mean, this is, yeah, you know what I mean? I'm, a gu- I'm guilty of it, you know what I mean? There's times, but we can't. You cannot. Because how can you teach if you don't know what you're teaching? Right? How can we teach if we don't know what we're teaching? How can we respond if we don't know how to respond? How can we help if we don't know how to help biblically? Because it is so easy to get it so um, um, uh, mixed up and combined with the world, the way they teach how to help and how to love. It is so easy to do that. You, you see that with the, with the uh, social gospel. You know, they want to help. They want to help and let only people see their actions. And they'll see Christ only in the actions. No, that's, not, that's only part of it. He teaches because you got to say it. You got to teach the word of God. It's not only by actions. For that, you can call me Gandhi then. So, <laughs> I do look Indian, right? No, but you know, <laughs> but you know what I mean. This, you got to teach the word. Okay? So, John 8, 38, um, 31 to 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So these teaching moments is the truth because it's applied to his word. And then it frees us from the burden of the lies and the deceit because the enemy is so slick. Over and over, I tell, I tell myself that, and I still need to hear it. And PJ reminds me, and we remind each other, because it is true. He does, and he's constantly coming at us. The truth needs to set you free. The truth needs, it's the only way, it's his truth. If you don't set, if, if the truth doesn't set you free, you continuously are being lied to and allowing yourself to, you know, follow what the world says and so on and so on. The importance of the truth setting you free is because Jesus is the truth. The Bible says Jesus is the word and the word is manifested into flesh. Jesus is the word. His truth is the truth. His truth is the only one that can set you free because he tells us that's the only truth. And when you apply it, you live it out and you'll understand why he says it because it is true. It actually happens the way. I look back, I read, you know, later on in life when I started reading, I said, man, if I would only listen, man, I wouldn't have been, you know, that half the things I did. Well, by 75% of the things I've done. If I only read his word, we look back, well, don't, you know, drink because I know I ended up in a place I shouldn't have been, you know. I'm not saying drunk, but what I'm saying is, because we don't drink it, but I mean, don't be a drunkard. That's what I mean. All right? That's what I mean more so, you know, and so on. And I use that example because I was a drunkard at times, plenty of times. And I ended up in places I should have been when I woke up. Some of you could probably, uh, <laughs> so you know, <laughs> that is my example, and that's why I use that particular one. But we get, you get what I mean. Absolutely. Okay? <laughs> you get what I mean. His word is truth for a purpose, for a reason, and that's why he's teaching us. And that's why he's teaching this moment to them. He uses this 
opportunity to teach his disciples about this woman of mind. He wants to show them. He wants to visually show them because there's something specific he wants from us. This is not a general statement. This is a specific that God wants to point out to you and me and to the world. Okay? Here's a quote that I got offline. The world sees what you do. God sees why you do it. The world sees what you do. God sees why you do it. And that's an important thing because God looks at the heart, right? God looks at the heart. Now I'm going to read 40, the rest of 43 and 44. As surely I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who gave, who have given to the treasury. For they all put in, you got this? Now follow this. For they all put in out of their abundance, out of their much, right? But she, out of her poverty, she had nothing, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. She put in all she had at that moment. In those days, you were given, and I misquoted to Pastor John, some, they gave you two, the two leftas or the two, the two quadrants. They gave you, they were the smallest coins of that day, uh, bronze coins, and they gave two per day for bread, not per week. And I told you, it was two per day. So here she had these two. She could have kept one, if we read a lot of comments, they say she could have kept the other, and then maybe bought some bread. But she went out with bread that day, so she could put it in. Now, it doesn't say, another discussion we had, it doesn't say exactly where her heart was when she did it. But it was enough for Jesus to know, to, to use for a learning um, example to his disciples. All right, It was enough to point out that she gave all that she had. All right. Now, I'm not saying to go ahead and give me everything you got and walk out here and walk home. You know, <laughs> barefooted. Now, Jesus is not talking about that either, right? Because we see many, there's many wealthy people in the Bible, right? We see, and I'll point out a few, you know, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, he was wealthy, right? Until he got convicted, then he was able to pay back a lot of the money. Then we see Joseph Arimathea, he prepaid the, own, the funeral, uh, donated his tomb for the burial of Jesus. Then we see the Roman centurion who believed in Matthew 8, he showed kindness toward the Jews. Paid for the building of synagogue, showed compassion for his ill servant, and so on and so on. So he's not saying nothing, not saying, you know, being rich is bad. It's the heart behind that wealth is the issue. Because it's not about what you give, it's what you got left over. Okay? It's not about what you give, it's what you got left over. Okay? Now he's not saying to walk around and be left over with nothing, you don't know how to pay your bills. He's not talking about that. He's talking because he's giving you that sacrificial. He wants to receive because you gave with that kind of heart that is sacrificial. You gave out of the love for God. And he's not talking about just financially. He's showing them this moment. He's showing them this teaching moment because he wants them to see, listen, you all, he's telling the disciples, you're going to live sacrificially. I want you to live that way. I mean, didn't they get it? They end up all dying, right? Whether it was beheaded or, or hung on an upside-down cross or martyred or, sta or uh, stoned to death. They got that sacrificial life. They got it. They got the message. So we're not talking about just financially. We're talking about a life that reflects what you believe. They believe who Christ was. They believe that he died on the cross for their sins. They believe that he resurrected. And they believe that he was God. Evidence is clear. There's no confusion of it. 
you know, there's a, and they teach seminary that, um, you know, the, the contrast between Paul, you know, and James, right? Paul says, you know, um, in Ephesians 2, um, um, uh, by grace you've been saved, thank you, not by, not by your works, less by your works. By grace through faith, less by your works, right? So Paul's saying that, saying it's not by your works that you're saved, it's by your faith in Christ. And then you have James on the other hand, and, and James too, he says, you know, I'll paraphrase because it's easy for me, I'll show you faith without works. No, you show me faith without works, and I'll show you faith by my works. So many will use those and say, well, you know, the contrast, they're, they're contradicting, and they're not. Because Paul say from the heart, Right? You believe in faith in God. James is saying, if you believe, your life should reflect what you believe. They're not contradicting each other. If you believe that that's the God who died for your sins, you believe that God who saved you on the cross, then you should, out of the love and adoration for God and the honest of God, live out a life that reflects what you believe. And that's what James is talking about. So they're talking about the same exact thing. Same exact thing. And that's what Jesus is trying to show them, the disciples. Listen, he says... Um, we'll go to, um, last verse, 1 Samuel 16. Oh, I did put it here. Okay, good. No, I didn't. Okay. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Good, I wrote it down. Because <laughs> I, I didn't want to search through the Bible, so I wrote it down. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Man looks at how someone appears on the outside, but, but I look at what is in the heart. God looks at what's in your heart, what's in our heart. And that's what he's trying to point out to them. He's trying to teach them. He wants them to see for themselves. He's like, I'm not just telling you. I want to show you. This is what I want. This is what I should see. If you believe and you say who I am, you're following me all the, you're following me for these past three years and you're following me all the way. Well, this is what's going to happen this week. You know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get crucified at the end of the week. He's not saying it, but that's what he's thinking, right? I'm going to I need to show these guys. And this is, I've been telling you about this time was going to come. He's not saying it here, but he's been telling them all along. This is what I want you to live out. And did the disciples get it? Absolutely. They got it because they all died sacrificially. I'm saying for us to go out and get martyred today. What I'm saying is, <laughs> because I don't want us to get this, and we always got to be careful with how we word things. So I just want to make sure that we clear, it's the picture that God's given us in a teaching moment. Your life should reflect what you believe. It's a sacrificial life. It's sacrificial meaning teaching our children, teaching our friends, sharing the word of God, loving one another in the name of Christ, but all at the end of the end for the glory of Jesus Christ, glory of God. That is the purpose. It's for the glory of God and nothing else. Because God don't care what you do, how much money you got and what you put in and all the nice things. That's all fine and dandy. But we can't fool him. He knows the heart. He knows the heart. Psalm 130, I am going to read Psalm 139, which I didn't put up there, but I wanted to read it because I thought that was uh, important. And this was a, from 1 to 24. <clears throat> oh Lord, you searched me and known me. 
You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. See, he knows where we're at. He knows what you're doing, but he never leaves us. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike. You see, David's in awe of his God. He's speaking to this, and David's messed up as they all come, as they come, right? As you and I, well, at least me, but he's speaking from that place. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows who he is in Christ, though, in God. <laughs> Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, there would be more in number than in the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. He's still with us through all of this. Amen. And oh, that you would slay the wicked. He goes on, depart from therefore you bloodthirsty men, for, this, for they speak against you wickedly. Speaking against them wickedly. You know, disobedience speaks against God in our actions. So when we look at others, we need to look at ourselves too, because our disobedience speaks this. Do not hate them, O Lord, who hate you. And I do not loathe those who rise up against you. I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. So at the end of all, he's telling God, listen, tell me the, uh, <laughs> tell me the truth. <laughs> tell me the truth. Search my heart. Let me know. Don't, lie, don't, don't let me be lied to. I don't want to be lied to. I need to know the truth. Give it to me. Because that's what forms us, is the truth. God's truth is what forms us in the, in the image of God, because that's what he originally made us. You know, the Bible says we were sealed in the Holy Spirit. You know, when we accept Christ and we confess that he is Lord, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon us and we've been sealed. That means we have the Holy Spirit that lives in us. That's God living in us through the Holy Spirit guiding us. So if we have the Holy Spirit in us, we should be able to hear that conscience, that, that, that soft stillness of saying when you're doing wrong. Or when you're doing what God asks you to, when you live in disobedience, that conviction. Or that, that conviction telling you, listen, go to God's word, see what God's word says about that situation. And then God says, I'll talk to you through my word. We should be always, the Bible says, for us to check our actions against his word. 
So I'm giving you these passages and these verses so that we can understand is that we can't pull one over God. You cannot hide something from God. You can't pull. God is looking to teach you, but he's looking to teach us because he loves us. But he loves us so much that he wants us, he wants to love us into a living out a sacrificial life as he shows that teaching moment to the disciples. God sees so much more. Do you see what I see? God sees the future and he sees the past. He knows that when we do something, he knows what the outcome is going to be. And this is why he's teaching us. I'm going to close with the last um, little story. And I, I took this from, um, I, I heard a pastor say, and I was like, wow, what a great application to this. So I'm going to copy this and read the same thing. <laughs> you know, praise God for other pastors who teach, you know, <laughs> strong word of God, you know, because listen... <laughs> Um, so this is a story it says it's, it's the, the pig and the chicken I don't know maybe you've heard it maybe not the pig and the chicken simple story but wow relevance to this right so hey pig the chicken says should we open a restaurant <laughs> says, pig, well I'm not sure you know what would we what do we call it he said ham and eggs Pig looks at him and says, uh-uh, no thanks. He says, I'd be committed and sacrificed. You'd be just evolved. The pig understood that he's sacrificing, he's the plate. The eggs, the chicken's just giving up some eggs. He's just sacrificing himself. You see, Jesus wants us to sacrifice, and Jesus gives us a picture, because Jesus doesn't teach us something without experience, and that's why he sent Christ to die for our sins and to, to, to live out on earth so that he can show us that he relates to us. He showed us the greatest act of a sacrifice, right? Through love, through his son, Jesus Christ. That sacrifice, he's asking to live, he says, I already lived it, and I did it for you and each and every one of us. I sacrificed my son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. So don't tell me about sacrifices. Don't tell me about being sacrificial. And I believe when I read it, I was like, oh, man, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you know? Like, here we go again, another learning moment, teaching moment. I need to be convicted. But this is a convicted truth. It doesn't make me worse. It makes me better. But better not for myself, but for, you know what I mean? Better meaning, because if you glorifies God, it, it benefits us. Christ gave his sacrificial life for us. God did it through his son for us. So anything we go through life, and we think that the little things that we do, all the big things, it's sacrificing the glory of God and it's for God's glory. All that we do. And Christ already lived it out for us. So I say, you know, what do we do with this now that we know this? You, we have no excuse. Not that you had one before, but you really don't, because I put it out here, right? You know, it's out here. We have no excuse. We're accountable for what we're taught and what we're learned. We're accountable for it. Yes, teachers are held at a more accountability, so we have to be more accountable for it. But each and every one of us here is accountable for this life, for this lesson taught. 
Because it's in here, and I showed in scripture. It's all in here. And if you don't open this, ain't nobody's fault but your own. When we confess and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, he knows whether you mean it or not. There should be some outpouring of the Spirit somehow, some way, something. Even if it's not evident in your walk or something, but it should be some type of conviction in your heart. There'd be something. Cannot be nothing. Impossible. The Bible says we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us. It's impossible. I'll debate that with anybody. I don't be a scholar to know that. I know what God's Word says. There has to be some fruit. Something. Whether it's conviction, action, something. Maybe one in a year, but it has to be something that says, I know God doesn't agree with this. Or this is what I should do because God says so. And if not, then that's a tough question. You bet we need to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, where are we at with, with our understanding who Christ is on the cross? Because you can say the sinner's prayer all you want. Not that it's wrong, I'm saying. But what I'm saying, you can say it all you want, but God searches the heart of all men. God knows whether it's true or not. It has to be evident. And if it's not, you have the opportunity to always make that evident. I'm going to say it again, even though it's us, I'm going to say it again. If this is the day that today you wanted to, to, you know, say, you know what, God, maybe I thought I was and I wasn't, I don't know, but something's different today, I'm going to say a prayer. And then one of us say it alone. If you haven't said it, but understand that you're accountable for what that prayer that you're saying. Because God judges the heart. He knows the heart. And know that when we say that, that comes with a responsibility of living a life that God called us to live, that sacrificial life that he's pointing out that's very clear in Scripture, that he's teaching us today. So we bow our heads. I'm just going to say it. And if you've never said it before, or truly have said it, I don't know, that's between you and God, but I'm going to say it, and I'll put it out there. God, I ask you to forgive me for my sins, and I ask you to repeat this after me if you haven't, truly said this, if you haven't truly repented of your sins, I ask you to repeat it. God, ask me to forgive, forgive me for my sins, for all the wrong I've done in my life. Lord, I confess and believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins. I believe you are the God that rose on the third day. I believe you paid the price on the cross for me. Come into my heart and come into my life. Seal me in the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. Let my life reflect what I believe. Give me the desire to let the world know that I'm your child by my actions or through baptism. But let the world know who I am as a child of God, a redeemed life. So I pray this. Anyone on Facebook is listening to this, if they do, or the website, I pray you pray this, in this, prayer, this prayer as well. But I also pray that your life reflects what you just prayed. So I thank you, Jesus, and we praise you.
You are God and our King. This privilege to be here. In Jesus' name, amen.